Welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast, where powerful women are interviewed every week to share real inspiring stories and incredible insight to help women or anyone break the barriers, be a part of innovation, shatter the glass ceiling, and dominate to the top of their sport, industry, or life's mission. Join us as we celebrate exceptional women and step into our power. And now, here's your host, Angela Gennari. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Pretty Powerful Podcast. My name is Angela Gennari, and today we are here with Shawnee Boshin. Hi, Shawnee. Hi, Angela. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So I'm excited to talk to Shawnee. She's got a very interesting background. So Shawnee Boshin is the visionary founder and CEO of Allerme, a groundbreaking telehealth startup based in San Francisco that aims to improve the lives of chronic and seasonal allergy sufferers with personalized prescription nasal sprays. Founded in 2021, Allermy has quickly garnered attention and funding for its innovative approach to combating allergy symptoms. Born and raised in Palo Alto, California, Shawnee's family has a background in the medical field, and her father, Robert Boshin, MD, PhD, FAAAI, <laughs> right, is a professor of allergy immuno- immunology at Stanford University. Her father's expertise and passion for helping patients with rhinitis. Am I saying that right? Rhinitis? Uh-huh. That's exactly right. And hay fever served as a catalyst for Allermy's creation. With Shawnee's mis- mission to help people improve their health and her father's decades of clinical experience, Allermy became a family endeavor. They assembled a team of dedicated professionals, including six full-time employees on the operational side and approximately 20 licensed physicians providing telehealth services across all 50 states. So super cool. So uh, I love that you have family support in this. That's really huge. It really is working with my family. Yeah. Uh, my dad in particular has been amazing. Yeah, that's so, so cool. Yeah. So you kind of, was this his idea, your idea? Like, how did this all come about? It really was a shared endeavor. Um, so Allermy, as you mentioned, launched in 2021, or excuse me, we launched in 2022, founded in 2021, but really the company started about 30 years ago in the early 1990s when my dad, who was a new allergist at the time, realized that his patients weren't getting better. Um, they were taking over-the-counter medication. They were taking a lot of oral like, medication pills and syrups to combat their allergies but they weren't improving. There were a lot of side effects that they were experiencing. And so what he started doing, he's an MD, PhD, as you said, so he's a scientist by training, was he started having people buy different medications and then go to their kitchen sinks and take a a nasal spray bottle and do a teaspoon of this and three tablespoons of that and do their own kind of chemistry in their kitchen sinks and create these amazing formulas that they would then spray up their noses and it would work incredibly well to relieve their symptoms. So he was doing that for 30 years. um, But you know, I started to realize like as a user myself, how kind of complex it was and error prone it was. So I said, dad, like, let's formalize this and make it available to everybody and do the work for them. You know, we'll do the mixing, we'll do the combining, we'll do the prescribing, and then we'll just ship it to them in the mail. So there's no more kitchen sink chemistry. And then people all over the country, not just in the Bay area can get this incredible nasal spray that you've invented. So that was the catalyst just to me. And then, you know, we came together, figured out how to do all of that, you know, 
create, you know, hired a team and, um, and yeah, it's been, uh, it's been kind of uh, going very, very cool. I know you have some dogs wrestling in the background. I'm sorry. So for anyone who's listening I... and they, they don't understand what's happening. There's, there's some puppy dogs playing in the background. They're super cute. So if I'm going to try, yeah, you can see them <laughs> over here in my mirror. I'm going to try and mute when I'm not talking. So, uh, you're fine. You're the <laughs> so, so, um, okay. So your dad has this really cool, like nasal spray that he's putting out and mostly it's for Bay area because that's where he is. So how difficult was that to get bigger distribution beyond the Bay Area? You know, it's definitely a process. There's a lot of legal work involved, regulatory work involved. You have to make sure you're licensed in the state where you're prescribing to. Um, there's this field called telemedicine, which I guess most of us are familiar with after COVID, where you basically mm -hmm. have your interaction with your doctor on the internet and you don't need to see them in person. And so right. that enables us to reach patients all over the country just by kind of hosting our doctor-patient interactions online rather than in person. Yeah. And so, but it's expensive, you know, you have to make sure you have all the right doctors who are licensed in the right states. You have to make sure you're abiding by each state's individual telemedicine law. So there's a lot to it. It took uh, quite a while to get to, we're in 47 states right now. Wow. That's amazing. So why did you decide to do telehealth instead of any other distribution distribution method? Because I, I imagine there's other distributions such as like going through a large pharma company or, or something like that. What are the options out there? Yeah, it's a great question. So one of the cool things about Allermy is that our nasal spray is customized, which means that each patient who comes to us fills out a questionnaire and they tell us all about their symptoms, their severity, their medical history. And then our doctors on our end create a formula that's right for that patient based on what they tell us. So each patient is getting personally evaluated by a doctor and getting a personalized formula made just for them. And wow. so mass, like one size fits all distribution wasn't the kind of business model we were looking for. We're looking for something highly tailored, highly custom. And so what that ended up working out to be was that each patient would come to us, we'd evaluate them on a one-to-one -one basis, and then we'd use our own pharmacies to create their formula and then send it out to them. Very interesting. And I imagine, I don't know why, but there's been, it feels like, and maybe I'm just, you know, not as well-versed in this, but it feels like there's more allergies than ever. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you are spot on. As our climate is changing, there is more pollen in the air. Pollen seasons are starting yeah. earlier and ending yeah. later. Plants are putting out significantly more pollen. Uh, carbon dioxide in our air binds to pollen differently. And so allergy season in like the pollen quantities and densities are much more intense. Um, there's more pollution in the air, more irritants in the air that we respond to as well with, with the same kind of uh, symptom response that we do to pollen. So that kind of exacerbates everything. Um, we're more sensitized to pollen because there's so much more exposure. So people who didn't have allergies previously are now coming down with symptoms for the first time in their adult lives. So a mm. lot is changing on the allergy front and the need for safe daily relief has never been greater. 
Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I feel like little bits of exposure also sometimes help. Like I, I have allergies to cats and dogs and grass and dust and a bunch of things, but, um, I have dogs and I love dogs. Um, but I do not have any cats. And so when I go visit my mother, it feels like my allergies are out of control. Like I, she's got a few cats and I, you know, my allergies start to go bananas, but around my dogs, I'm okay. But I notice if I travel, like if I travel for a week and then I come home, my allergies are so much worse around my dogs. So do yeah. you think that's just, it's an, a daily exposure thing or how does that Absolutely. Work? It's such a good, it's kind of like how the way allergy shots work, where when you get yeah. continuous exposure to an allergen, your mm -hmm. body kind of recognizes it as not this foreign body that it's trying to fight against by causing a lot of inflammation. So yeah. if you're exposed, so that's what happens. So people who get pets and they're really allergic to them, usually people end up kind of accommodating to their own pets. Thank goodness, which is, yeah. you know, maybe yeah. to give some hope to people who have new pets out there or who want yeah. a pet. Um, yes, you become, you know, you inhale their dander proteins um, so much that eventually your body becomes used to them. Okay. Interesting. So would you say on, on the, the front of, as you're, as you're starting this company, what challenges did you have to overcome in starting this business? Yeah. I mean, I think starting any business, the first challenge to overcome is kind of the, <laughs> excuse my dog. <laughs> okay. um, but the first challenge to overcome is kind of the self-confidence that you can actually do this and that this yeah. is something that the world actually needs and you're the right person to do it. So when I think about the very, very beginning, you know, I had this idea and I told a couple of people about it and some people were really encouraging and other people were like, oh, if this were a good idea. Someone would have done it already. Or other people were like, mm, you have a master's in education. Go be a teacher. We have enough entrepreneurs. Like we need teachers. Yeah. Um, and I felt like really dejected by that. I actually, there was one investor who I talked to way, way early in the beginning. And that's what he said to me. He said, look, like, we have a company is if someone did, if someone like, if this were a good idea, someone would have done it already. Go be a wow. teacher. The world needs more teachers, not more, more entrepreneurs. And I listened oh to gosh. him. I know if he, he's not a bad guy. I think he truly was trying to give me advice. I was young. I was naive. He's like, you know, um, the chance of this working is so minimal, like go do something, you know, you'll succeed at. So I listened to him, unfortunately. Oh, no. And I went and I was like, oh, this isn't going to work. I'm going to go be a teacher again. So I went back to school the next year for teaching and taught for a year. And I thought about Calorme every single day. And yeah. every night I'd come home from my classroom and I would go mix up formulas in the sink and I would write business plans and do branding exercises. And finally, at the end of the school year, that's when my parents were like, okay, Shani, like <laughs> the cacophony of barking over here. They were like, okay, Shani, like if you want to actually pursue this, move back home, we'll support you. Um, they were kind enough to let my boyfriend, who's now my husband uh, yeah. at the time, come, come and live with us. And they were like, if you want to focus on your startup, like quit teaching, come and focus on this full time. So I was incredibly blessed in that regard. But yeah. I think getting over that initial rejection and and if you believe in something and truly believe in the mission and also believe that you're the right person to do it, like no naysayers can stop you at that point. Absolutely. So I love that your story reminds me, it reminds me so much of another, um, another guest on our show, who her father was a physician, is a physician, and he 
came up with a concoction um, for uh, hydration called BioLite. And her name is Jesslyn Rollins. And she, very similar, had a very different degree, right? Her degree was in theater. And so her, her father came to her and said, hey, listen, I've got this idea. I think it could help people. Uh, I need you to go run this company for me. <laughs> wow. So, oh my God. So she didn't have any business training. She didn't have any like backing on, you know, like she, like I said, had a, she was focused on theater and production and, you know, this was so far out of her wheelhouse, but she believed in the mission. She believed in helping people and finding a way to, you know, combat hydration, especially for sports teams. And, and, you know, her, her mother actually was going through cancer treatments. And so that's why her father invented it. But it reminds wow. me so much of that story. You guys have a very, very similar path. Wow. And, you know, you have these brilliant fathers who come up with this amazing idea and you are the one to say, let's take this to the masses and let's, let's figure out how to help people outside of, you know, our general area. So I wow. love that. That's an incredible and, story. I'd love to meet her and I'll definitely look her up. Yeah. Yeah. I think you guys have so much in common just in your journey. And uh, I think you guys would, uh, your stories resonate. So that would, that's really cool. So, so as you're starting the company, um, you know, you launched it fairly recently, uh, 2021 is, is, you know, when you founded the company, so it's still pretty new. Um, What have you found to be the biggest challenges in terms of like, what, what has surprised you the most? Yeah. So we've been on the market for 13 months at this point. We we opened up to the market in September of 2022. Okay. And some of the biggest challenges, um, well, there's a lot of education that comes with prescribing a medication. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of education that comes with prescribing a brand new medication, a custom mm-hmm. medication, a prescription medication, nasal spray in general, just so like a really complicated it's not like putting a tablet in your mouth and swallowing. It's a little more yeah. complex. It's there's a lot of explanation around each of the ingredients we use, how to take the nasal spray. So I don't know if I was surprised by this, but it's definitely been a big challenge is figuring out how to educate people uh, around their new prescription nasal spray in the way that will optimize their results and get them the relief that they need. Um, figuring out how to take kind of sophisticated medical language from my dad, the Stanford professor and translate yeah. it in a way that like your average person can really understand and digest and, um, creating like video material, infographics and instructions that really resonate with people and work. And it's still a challenge getting people to read instructions is challenging. A lot of people, you know, they get their package and they just take their nasal spray and they don't read the instructions because they think they know how to do it, but you know, they end up doing it wrong and then their results aren't good. And so kind of figuring out ways to creatively inform people about how to do things the right way so that they get the best results, I'd say has been a really kind of really interesting and hard challenge. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because you can, you know, you can give somebody a great product, but if they're not going to take the initiative to learn how to use that great product, it's not going to help them. And then they're going to judge you on the product. Isn't that great? Right. When, when oh, really yeah. it's more than do with the, it's a user error. <laughs> totally. And I think a lot, I mean, for sure. And then a lot of that falls on us. Like if we're writing out instructions that are too long and too complicated, like that's on us to figure out 
hey, okay, we're sending these instructions to people. People aren't getting it. Like we need to then rework, figure out how what's going wrong, how we can improve. Because at the end of the day, it's our job to ensure that the customer has the best experience. Yeah, for sure. Okay, very cool. So uh, what do you think in terms of, since you guys deal mostly with aller- you know, the allergy side, what do you find to be the most prevalent allergies right now? I mean, it's all your airborne environmental allergies. It's tree pollen, grass pollen, weed pollen, dander from animals, dust mite, mold spores. And then there's a whole like facet of this disease called rhinitis, which just means nasal inflammation that isn't related to allergy at all. It's just like your nose is inflamed. You've taken an allergy test. Maybe you're not allergic to anything, but you deal with these symptoms every day. Mm -hmm. Maybe you had a sinus infection a year ago that never went away. You're just inflamed and stuffy all the time. Maybe you are really sensitive to chemicals in the air, pollutants and irritants. Um, But one out of three people have some kind of environmental allergy. So it's totally epidemic. It's super common. Right now, like today in October, ragweed is plaguing the country. Like our patients in Texas where ragweed is super prevalent are suffering so terribly, um, really across the whole Southeast. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's really, it's really crazy that the bloom happened months before we thought it would, and just Mm -hmm. continues to be like, we look at pollen counts of our patients and they're all like the dark red, extra high, um, extra high pollen counts. So it's tough. Interesting. I wonder if, you know, as we're doing this globalization, right, like things are coming over, like we just, I'm I'm bringing this up, which is kind of irrelevant, but not. um, But I was talking to somebody the other day, and he's a writer, and he was doing a story on uh, the Juro spider coming over on a ship from China. Like, I wonder if the globalization of our world and products coming in that, you know, we're exposed to pollutants and things that we're not used to, do you think that has any impact? I'm sure. I don't, I don't think it couldn't. Like, I mean, on one perspective, like shipping and transport and, um, the global market and, Mm um, and how, how much, um, pollution, like massive, um, import, important export brings like, yeah, we didn't, we didn't have important export on this level, you know, a hundred, 200 years ago, like that's massively changed the way that our climate and our air quality looks, um, like that's a really interesting point about the spider like maybe non-native plants and the way that now we have access to plants from all over the world that we can put in our in our areas like foods the same thing you know totally yeah with all the foods that are coming across like we may not be allergic to peaches that are grown in Georgia but peaches that are grown in Brazil might carry you know different types of pesticides and environmental pollutants that we could potentially develop an allergy to yeah, I, that's an area I don't know enough about, but it's a really interesting point. Mm-hmm. So speaking of food, is, does your um, product also help with food allergies or is it mostly environmental pollutants? Or environmental? Yeah, we do not address food allergies at all. That's a whole different field, a whole different ball game. Um, yeah. We, yeah, food allergy is super prevalent, super underfunded and underaddressed. Um, it can be fatal. It's, it's a big problem. That's not something that we're focused on right now. We strictly are addressing nasal symptoms, upper airway symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. 
Very cool. All right. So um, as you're starting your journey, you're fairly young, uh, which is a great thing. That's a compliment. You're getting into the um, entrepreneurial space at a young age, which is an amazing opportunity for you um, because you. you have so much that you can learn and grow and, and your perspective is different. Um, what do you find to be your most effective marketing we do all of our marketing on social media for the most part. Um, we do some Google marketing and then we market to physicians, but mm -hmm. the majority of our marketing um, is on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Yeah. And I mean, it, those are incredible platforms. I mean, I know we're all sick and tired of ad ads constantly when we're scrolling, but at the same time, I mean, I've learned about life-changing products while on social media. I've purchased dozens of products that I've learned about on social. Some of them I, I continue to buy to this day. Yeah, And it's really an incredible platform to be able to create video content, to share information and education and to market to our target clientele in a way that's really efficient. So that's what yeah. we've found to be the most effective so far. Yeah, I I imagine that that would be the case because you know obviously with all the tracking that goes on with Facebook and Google, it it um you know they they know how to target the right people. So that's right. Yeah, interesting. Okay, very cool. So um you started this company in 2021. You launched in 2022. Um, what types of um what types of challenges do you feel like will continue to plague um, the the pharma space or the you know, allergy space in terms of like, where do you see the most improvement um, opening up? I think it'll always be a, a, a challenge, a challenge that we welcome, but a challenge to keep up with the regulatory landscape. I mean, the mm -hmm. FDA um, controls the way that pharmacies and medical practices operate mm -hmm. uh, in each state. There's also the board of medicine and the board of pharmacy. So ensuring that we're compliant with all of the regulation is a challenge that, you know, we've embraced and will always continue because that's a landscape that's always changing, especially during COVID after COVID mm -hmm. Um and there's a lot of political action to kind of change policies. And so we're always keeping tabs on what's kind of transforming in that arena. Um, yeah, I think I'd say that's probably with regards to pharma, that's that's the biggest challenge there. I mean, our hope is that, you know, we really believe in custom medication, compounded medication. All of our nasal sprays are made on a custom made to order basis for each patient in a specialty pharmacy called a compounding pharmacy. Okay. And so these are extremely uh, compliant, rigorous pharmacies that adhere to the highest standards that the board of pharmacy puts out. And so our hope is that we can continue with our custom compounding and so long as we're adhering to the rules and regulations um, set out by the Board of Pharmacy that we can continue this and really make it more widespread than it already is. Yeah, that's amazing. So what about outside of the U.S.? Do you guys have any plans to develop and distribute outside of the U.S.? Not at the moment, no, but, you know, always uh, on the table. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking, cause I mean, I, I imagine that's gotta be a huge need worldwide is, you know, it is, it is. 
Yeah. Allergies don't discriminate. They are everywhere. They definitely plague the Western world uh, more, probably because of the hygiene hypothesis, which is basically the theory that if you grow up in a society where there's a lot of um, sanitization, hand sanitizing, vaccines, uh, very clean kind of Cloroxed bleached environments, and you're not farming and out in the dirt and Mm-hmm. Um, you know, exposed to a lot of people in close quarters, um, that you're, if you grow up in that kind of hygienic environment, you're actually more likely to develop allergens because your immune system isn't as kind of well-trained by pathogens in the environment, mm-hmm. um, or, in, or intruders in the environment. Um, so it's, you know, allergies don't discriminate, but they definitely have a, a kind of emphasis in the, in Westernized societies, but it's a global problem. They, you know, worldwide allergies are present in one out of three people. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. So, um, so with telehealth, so I love the, I love telehealth, by the way, I'm a huge fan of telehealth because number one, I am very, I, I love efficiency. And the idea of getting in my car, going over to a doctor's office, waiting in their office for an hour and a half so that they can tell me to go wait somewhere else and then waiting for them to get results. I hate the whole process. I I don't like any of it. I love telehealth. I love telehealth because they call me, we have an appointment, it's five minutes, I don't have to leave, I don't have to get in my car and go anywhere. And I'm just a huge fan of telehealth. Um, Also, I think it breaks down barriers. I think it breaks down barriers for people who may not have good transportation, may want access to a doctor that they can't necessarily get to, right? And I think that, you know, the cost of telehealth and the and the ease of, of accessing it has opened up so much for people who um, don't necessarily have the same benefits. So for telehealth, do you feel like that is one industry that's going to continue to expand? Because I, I feel like it's, there's so much potential. Absolutely. There are tremendous headwinds in telehealth. I completely agree with you. The inconvenience of going to see a doctor in person, especially for a condition that can be easily treated asynchronously online. Like why? It's a waste of money. It's a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Doctors, Doctors are overloaded and backlogged already. And so moving things over to telemedicine visits is actually tremendously helpful for physicians. And like my dad, for example, he has a three month waiting list minimum. It's never, you know, a three to six month waiting list to get in to see him in person. And so to be able to see patients online, 15 minutes to a quick, you know, kind of question and answer about their nasal symptoms, prescribe a nasal spray, easy peasy, like so much more efficient and cost effective for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, So absolutely. I mean, we're seeing telehealth, companies pop out like weeds um, and we're seeing them grow and go public and be tremendously successful in the public markets uh, from psychiatry to psychology to weight mm-hmm. and obesity to um, sexual health to uh, mental health. I said that um, heart health, pain, yeah. allergy, you know, with allergy and, and others and uh, gut health. So there's, there's a ton you can do. And I agree that the capacity and the potential is tremendous. Yes, absolutely. So as far as um, telehealth, I guess one of the boundaries, and maybe you know this and maybe you don't, but I imagine that it's the state to state thing that makes it complicated. Like there's no national, um, there's no national standard. Is that right? 
There are some national standards, but really it's left up to each state. Each state has different rules and regulations. It can get really complicated. Some states are incredibly strict, like Nevada, for example, and then other states are a lot more, have embraced telemedicine a lot more and are a lot more lenient. So managing the um, each state's rules and regulations is is definitely a big piece of what we do on a daily basis. Yeah, that's um, a challenge that we face as well, because in the security industry, we have some states that are really, really strict and they'll require a certain level of training and you have to train on this thing and that thing. And, you know, here are your standards and here's the number of hours. And then we have other states where it's the wild, wild west and there's no standards at all. (laughs) Right. But there's no consistency in what we do and not even and for for security licensing, it's not even that there's no state to state. There's no consistency even within the state so like wow Colorado there's no such thing as a statewide license you have to go to each municipality and get a license and the same thing with Pennsylvania it's just super irritating but yes that's a real challenge wow well yeah and it's you know I know people think that uh they're solving an issue by deregulating there's no federal but by by making it no federal law makes you know, growth and expansion hard for a company when you have to dial into each one of these state to state or municipality regulations. So can absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so getting out with a education degree, did you feel, did you ever think you would be in medicine? You know, your, your father is, um, you know, I always wanted to be in medicine. Excuse me, I think someone's not so sure. Okay. <laughs> I always wanted to be a doctor. Like ever since I was a little girl, I loved really? going to the clinic. I loved a little doctor. Um, and up until college, I thought I was going to be a doctor. But then I t- tried to take science classes and I struggled with them terribly. And um, I, it was really just too much of a challenge uh, for me to continue. So I found something I was passionate about. Art history is what I studied in college. So not the most practical but I absolutely loved it every class I took was just so exciting and interesting and you know going you know from an art history major to an education degree was a natural path but once I started teaching I never felt comfortable in the classroom I never felt comfortable teaching um and I never felt like I was making a a big enough difference in the world like I really wanted to and so when the you know when my dad and I kind of came together and decided that this was something feasible I really felt like this was my calling and something that I could do to make the kind of macro level difference on the world that I wanted to and actually do something big with my career and uh so the transition was you know seamless that's super cool. So do you think there'll ever be a day where you merge your two passions of education, art history, medicine, helping others? You know, I think I might be doing that already. Like the art history background that I have has helped with our branding and our mm-hmm. our, um, our creatives. And then the education background that I have has helped with my, like the education that we give to patients about our product and the education, you know, that I have to use to, when I speak with investors and, you know, partners, and then, you know, my desire to kind of make a difference in the world and do something big. Like we've helped tens of thousands of people already with Allermy. And so that's just to see that list feels really exciting and very fulfilling. So I, I hope that I always continue to utilize like my background and experiences and 
you know, whatever talents I've gleaned to, uh, to do something fulfilled with my career. That's awesome. I love that so much. Yeah. And I think that's when, um, you feel like you're really kind of reaching, um, the pinnacle when you can really merge all of your passions into one. So, I mean, with me, I have, uh, you know, I have a security company, but my, my degree is in criminal psychology. I never thought I'd really use that, but psychology has helped in every aspect of what I do every single day. So I think I'd ever be able to use my degree, but I I use it more than, uh, more than you would ever imagine. So that's amazing. Yeah. I would imagine psychology is useful in anything that involves working with people. Everything, every aspect. So, um, so as women, we often give away our power, whether that looks like, you know, um, you know, like your conversation with the investor where he's like, ah, go back to teaching. You know, we've got plenty of entrepreneurs. Like, can you tell me about a time that you gave away your power, um, as a woman and another time when maybe you stepped into your power and you owned that power? That's such a great question. I mean, I think of, I tell that story about that investor all the time. That's part of my thoughts. Um, because it was such a profound moment of like sadness and rejection for me. Um, and I don't know if that investor would have said that to the man. Uh, yeah. I, I have a feeling like my youth and femininity and naivety had something to do with what he told me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that my youth, femininity, naivete also had to do with my response and listening to that and hearing like a powerful older man tell me something like that, that I chose to listen to at the time that I think I absolutely gave up my power. And at the time I was like 24 years old and now I'm 31 and I don't think I would ever, um, I don't think I would ever react that way ever again. And so yeah. it was a tremendous lesson. It was, it was something that like, I look back and I'm like, Oh, could have started Allery a year earlier. By yeah. But you know, during that year I met my husband I gained a lot of life experience. There's no regrets there, but giving up your power always comes with paying some kind of price. So I think of that, that incident as it's definitely a, a, a good reflection of that. Um, and then other times about being empowered as a woman, I think anytime you as a woman have a success in business, whether it's like creating a company with millions of dollars in revenue or securing a multi-million dollar check from an investor like, to be a woman and do that. I don't think women were doing this 30 years ago. Like Mm-mm. that's such a new and exciting thing to be able to do as a woman. And it's so empowering. And so now what I love to do that feels like especially empowering for me to talk to founders of businesses who are women who are a few steps behind me or kind of earlier on the pathway and try and give them my advice and my learnings that I took along the way. And that feels like tremendously powerful to be able to do that. It really is. And, and I'm, I'm a big proponent of lifting up other women in your journey um, because we, we haven't always had that, right? Which is why the podcast came along because I've had very few women mentor me in my life. And so, you know, just having an ability for people to be able to log into a podcast and get great advice from other women who have been through a similar journey or who are, you know, haven't been through the same thing, but are experiencing some of the same pitfalls and some of the same, you know, where you were just talking about this investor who, you know, 
he talked you out of pursuing your passion and, and made you feel like you weren't the person and it wasn't the time, but you know, both of those were wrong because look at you now. Right. And so that was wrong. But at the same time, you know, guys sometimes don't understand the power of their words. And as a woman, we, we have, we have placed too much importance on them right? We've, we've placed too much importance on words from somebody else who has not walked in our shoes. And, um, you know, we, we assume that they're giving us the advice that are, is best for us. And sometimes it's just not, it's just not best for us. And so, absolutely. um, yeah, we've, we've had quite a few, uh, quite a number of people who, um, have been on this show and they have had similar experiences where somebody else told them, you know, this isn't going to work for you. They're, they're naysayers, you know? And when I say to that is they, they show you their limitations, not yours. So I love that. Yeah. I'm not surprised to hear that every other woman on this show has had the same experience. Yeah. I think it just comes with being a founder and maybe particularly being a woman founder. Um, it's, uh, I think it's pretty universal, unfortunately, but yeah, I think with, with podcasts like yours and more and more women founders and more and more dollars being poured into female run companies that hopefully the tables will turn and yeah. you know, we'll get to a point where, where that's no longer the case and women can be empowered and encouraged. Yes, I agree. God willing. So what advice would you give to your 18 year old self? My 18. Oh my gosh. That's such a long time. What advice would I give to my 18 year old self? Probably that have more fun. I know that sounds yeah. crazy. Like I really, yeah, I think I was too serious when I was 18. Um, I think I took life hard and I was so serious and um, things really deeply and probably just didn't invest enough of my time into having fun and going out and being a kid, mm-hmm. um, being a young adult. Um, I feel like I, I started to have my fun when I was already like done with college. Um, and, uh, I would say if I were 18, I know that's, that's kind of weird advice, but I would probably say like, take life a little more lightheartedly and, yeah it's not so serious and not everything is so hard and be grateful and appreciative for what you have and just enjoy it more. Yes. I a hundred percent agree with you. I, I, I was with you. I was like you, I was very serious. Everything was very serious. And I felt like I needed to have yeah. life figured out immediately at 18. I, I felt like that was, I had to know everything that was about to happen and I had to plan for it strategically. <laughs> yeah. I was the same way. And when I was 18, all I wanted to be was older and yeah. Like when I'm 31, I'm like, what the heck was I thinking? Uh, like, no. <laughs> oh, now I'd give anything to be younger. No, just kidding. I love being 31, but yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah. that's, that's the way it was. I, I a hundred percent can relate to that. So I really enjoyed this conversation. This has been super fun, but what do you wish more people knew? I think I wish more people knew that most people are good yeah. and we get a lot of like, angry people and conspiracy theorists and people who see that we're a business and and see us wearing white coats and think we're just trying to scam them and do harm Mm -hmm. and I think that's just a reflection of our attitude about people in general as a as a nation or as a world or globe um and I really think that most people in the world are good and trying to do good and not trying to scam or be 
dishonest and um like anytime we get an accusation that we are scammers or oh, gosh. you know some kind of conspiracy is put on our Facebook page like it hurts because the truth is is like we really want to help people get better and be healthier yeah. and live happier lives and so um as you know personally and like professionally I I would hope that people would see that most people especially people in healthcare are there to help and are good and then just as a as like a human race in general like I think most of us are pretty good people I think so too I agree with you and you know there's always a face behind a company right like we're not just yes. you know we're not just a corporation there's somebody who actually cares enough to be able to put this company together and who has had a lot of sleepless nights and you know trying to do the right thing and so yeah I, I agree with you yeah yeah and you know the tiktok bullying also doesn't help yeah i know why why do people do that who knows <laughs> just can't take it to heart <laughs> uh, no you've got to let it roll off of you i always say when people are mean it's more a reflection on them than it is on you yeah mm-hmm. love that so well thank you so much shawnee you have been such a pleasure to talk to and i wish you so much luck in what you're doing because i think that what you guys are doing and trying to help people is wonderful and as a lifelong allergy sufferer i can tell you from my own experience that um you know i hope you guys continue to be successful and create new opportunities for people to get better oh thank you so much this is so fun and such a pleasure Yes, my pleasure. Well, thank you guys for joining me for another episode of the Pretty Powerful Podcast. You can find Shawnee Boshan. Is it Boshan? Yes, Shawnee Boshan. You can find her on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. And how else can people find you, Shawnee? Um, visit allerme.com if you want to check out our company. We're on Instagram, we're online, we're on TikTok, and you'll see me there. Awesome. Thank you guys again so much. And I hope everyone has an amazing day. Thank you for joining our guests on the Pretty Powerful Podcast. And we hope you've gained new insight and learned from exceptional women. Remember to subscribe or check out this and all episodes on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. Visit us next time. And until then, step into your own power.